book of Hebrews is just a fantastic book. Uh, people often ask me, what is my favorite book in the Bible? And it's usually whatever book I happen to be reading at the time. They're all just so fantastic. But Hebrews is one of those that, that is just filled with so much uh, meat of the word. And the theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. He's just better than everything. You ain't ever seen anything like him. He's better than anything the Jews ever knew. Uh, and, of course, we know he is preeminent. We're not preaching on that tonight, but we are going to lift one verse out uh, that speaks about him. And <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 8 and 9. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. The Word of God says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee uh, with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to meet tonight. Thank you for opening your word together. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Uh, just a simple uh, Bible study this evening as we look through the Bible to discover uh, the gems of truth. Uh, but Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to guide us. And so please give us ears to hear, guide us into all truth. Teach us thy holy and eternal book, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So tonight I want to give you more of a Bible study than a sermon. I want to give you 20 reasons to hate sin. 20 reasons to hate sin. Now, last week we talked about the biblical definition of sin. What is sin? And just by way of review, we learned that sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. We learned that all unrighteousness is sin, 1 John five seventeen. We learned that the omission of what we know to be good is a sin, James 4, 17. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin, Romans 14, 23. Now, we're not going to go back through those. We spent a whole sermon on it last Sunday night. And notice that this is more of a formulaic definition for sin rather than going through and listing every sin. I'm actually working on a list of sins in the Bible and uh, an alphabetical list of all the sins mentioned in the Bible. There are hundreds and hundreds. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, and next week we're going to go through each one. We'll spend 10 minutes on each one. And no, we're not going to do that. It'll probably just be a resource we, we put online or in some publication. But uh, what a fascinating study. Uh, what is sin? You know, every, every culture and, and popular culture de tries to decide what sin is. But we learn that only God can truly decide what sin is. He has the power to define sin. But the, the reason why God gave us these formulas as definitions for sin, ultimately, now the Bible does go through and tell us what sin is and what, what sins are specifically, but the Bible could not tell us every sin in every culture in every generation. So God gave us formulas. Two plus two is four. It doesn't matter if it's two motorcycles, two apples, two pizzas. Two plus two is four. And so we can take these formulas about what sin is and apply them to any time period, any people, anywhere, and we can discover what sin is. And so we know what sin is. Now, the next thought is we use the knowledge of what sin is so that we can detect sin in our culture and in our lives and avoid it, right? It's not enough just to be able to point out that's a sin. It's enough the purpose is to say that's a sin, stay away from it. If we're walking through the woods and I say, oh, there's a copperhead poisonous snake, and you just walk right by and step on it, that doesn't do you any good at all. It's the knowledge of sin teaches us to stay away from it, to recognize it, to tell others about it, and then protect ourselves from it. And so we recognize the sin in our lives, and then we can confess it and forsake it, and try to live in holiness unto the Lord. But there is a problem. People love to sin. They love to sin. 
There's a part of you that loves to sin, that flesh nature, that corrupt part of you. Corrupted by sin, it loves to sin. And that part of you knows that sin is fun for a season. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us information about Moses. Moses knew that sin was pleasurable for a season. He grew up in the lap of luxury in the most prosperous, most powerful nation on the planet at that time. He had the best of everything. He grew up in Pharaoh's house. I, I imagine that there was nothing that he wanted that he couldn't have best clothes, the best place to live, the best relationships, the opportunities. Uh, I mean, just anything life had to offer. The world was his oyster, so they say. But yet he made a decision to walk away from all that and follow God. We find in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Yeah, he, he could have had a great life for a while. And this is, this is what sin does. It's so deceptive. It deceives us into thinking, man, sin's fun, and my world's not falling apart as I indulge in it. And so, man, I'm just going to choose sin. Oh, but it's only fun for a while. And as the old saying goes, a sin will cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer than you want to stay, and take you further than you want to go. I can't tell you how many times people have been in my office and said, Pastor, I can't believe I did this. I never thought I would do this. Well, that's the nature of sin. It's deceptive. The pleasure pulls you in, and every, every inch you give it, it gets its hooks deeper and deeper into you. Sin's fun for a season, but its pleasure is short-lived, and its pain can last for all eternity. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us, and sin kills everything it touches. So now we go back to our text verse. Our text verse in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. I love in verse 8 where God calls Jesus Christ God. I love that verse. Great verses there on the deity of Christ. But then verse 9 tells us a little bit more about Christ. God says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Jesus hates sin. God hates sin. Do you hate sin? We must learn to hate sin if we're going to live a righteous and holy life in this wicked world. I'm not talking about just trying not to sin. I'm talking about cultivating a holy hatred where we hate sin. And like Christ, we love righteousness and we hate iniquity. But see, your flesh is the exact opposite. Your flesh loves sin and hates righteousness. Your flesh doesn't want to go to church, doesn't want to read its Bible, doesn't want to pray, doesn't want to be generous, doesn't want to help others, doesn't want to go soul winning, doesn't want to put money in the offering plate. I mean, it wants to do what it wants to do. It loves sin. It'll drink as much as you let it. It'll drug as much as you let it. It'll fool around as much as you let it. It'll be as immoral as you let it. It'll be as wicked and depraved as you give it permission. And then it will scream and cry for more. Because our flesh loves sin. And our flesh hates righteousness. But once you get born again, you have a new nature. And that new nature now gives you a choice to where you don't have to sin. Think about Galatians 5.17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. 
But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. The Bible says once you get saved, there's a battle going on in your heart. That old fleshly nature still wants to be in control and live in sin. And that righteous part of you made after God and birthed after God, it cannot sin. And it is righteous and holy and it loves righteousness and it hates iniquity. And there's a battle going on inside the the heart of every true Christian. Furthermore, we tend to be inconsistent with our sin. We will hate some sins while protecting others. And this is where we have to learn to be brutally honest with ourselves. Often we'll condemn the sin in other people's lives and excuse the sin in our own. We will bring down the hammer of righteousness on them and plead grace and liberty in our own lives. And it ought to be the opposite. We ought to be brutally honest with ourselves and extend mercy to others. The good news is that after you're saved, we're no longer slaves to sin. Look at Romans chapter (laughs) 6. You're no longer a slave to sin if you're born again. Romans chapter 6 is a powerful chapter about uh, God's deliverance from sin. Look at verses 12 through 14. Romans 6 verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. See that word, let not? Don't allow sin to reign. This is teaching us that God has put you in the driver's seat. You get to decide, I get to decide whether or not I sin. Now, if you're not saved, you're a a slave to sin. You have no choice but to sin, and it'll drag you straight down to the depths of hell. But for the child of God, we have a choice. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. See, he's talking about the sin of the body versus the salvation of the soul. That ye should obey it and the lust thereof. We have a sin nature. We have a desire to sin. God says, don't obey the desire to sin. Verse 11, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. These are your body parts, your hands, your feet, your mouth, your eyes, your ears. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Now notice here that grace is not an excuse to sin. Grace is the power to overcome sin. Mainstream Christianity has this backwards. They use grace as a license to sin. No, grace is the power so that you don't have to sin. The choice is yours. Will we surrender to the old impulses of the sin nature? Or will we we yield our mind and body to righteousness and to God? The Christian life is learning to reject the fleshly lusts of sin and engage in the pursuit of righteousness. See, it's not enough to know what sin is. Now I have to decide what to do with it. And the Bible says God hates sin. The Bible says Jesus hates sin. And the more you and I become like Jesus, the more we will hate sin. The ultimate goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. That's what Romans chapter 8 tells us. That God's in the process of conforming us into the image of Christ. One of these days we'll be like him for we'll see him as he is. But do we hate sin like he hates sin? No. But we should be in the process of learning to hate sin. Cultivating a holy hatred. Look at Psalm 97. 
and look at verse 10. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Now here's a truth that we all need to grasp. You can't love God and love sin. You can't love sin and love God. God is holy and in Him is no darkness at all. You can't get any further apart than holy God and sin. You can't straddle that fence. You can't have a foot in both world, worlds. And wherever you are on that spectrum, the more you indulge sin, the more you love sin, protect sin, the less you will love God. But the more you love God, the more you will hate sin. God hates sin. Jesus hates sin. And God's work in us causes us to hate sin. The more we become like Jesus, the more we will hate sin. So even though our flesh loves sin, as God's children, we must cultivate a holy hatred for sin as we've talked about. And I want you to just be thoughtful right now and do some introspection. Do you hate sin? What sins do you hate? I mean, you can't stand them. You can't stomach them. But then what sins do you give a pass in your own life? What sins do you say, well, that's not that bad. I know I shouldn't, but. I know it's not right, but. I know I should, but. And through this message, I'm going to give you 20 reasons why we should look at all the sin in our lives and say, I hate you. I hate that sin in my life. I hate the greed. I hate the jealousy. I hate the unforgiveness. I hate the unlove. I hate the addiction. I hate the immorality. I hate the selfishness. I mean, we just look our lives over and say, identify sin and say, I hate that. I hate that I don't tell people about Jesus. I hate that I don't do what I know I ought to do. I hate that I leave those things out of my life. I hate that I commit those acts. And this Bible study tonight gives us 20 reasons to look at those things and say, I hate you. I want you out of my life. And so let's start. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 59. And we're just going to look at a verse, and I'm going to give you a thought, and we're going to keep moving. Isaiah chapter 59. <clears throat> we should hate sin because sin separates us from God. We should hate sin because sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Don't you want to be close to God? Don't you want to sense his presence? Hear the still small voice. Have him speak to you through his word, through the Holy Ghost. I mean, after all, heaven is living eternally in God's presence and under his care. The closer we are to God here on earth, the more this life becomes heavenly. We ought to hate the sin that comes between us and God. We ought to hate the sin that cuts us off from our Lord and Savior. Look at Genesis chapter 2. Why should we hate sin? Number two, because sin condemned mankind to hell. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And we know in that day they didn't die physically, they died spiritually. They were separated from God, as we've read, read in the, the first lesson here. God, who had come down in the cool of the day to speak to them, for the Bible doesn't record how many days, now all of a sudden God comes down and Adam and Eve are hiding from him. Why? Because of sin. And sin separates us from God, and sin condemns our soul to hell. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Revelation 21.27 says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, speaking of heaven. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no sin in heaven. There will be no unforgiven sinners in heaven. Sin condemned mankind to hell. Let me say number three, why should we hate sin? Sin corrupted creation. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 17 through 19. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Think about that. Cursed is the ground. Creation is cursed, Adam, because of your sin. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. If you're tired this weekend from a busy week at work, work hurts. Your back hurts, your feet hurt, your hands hurt. You can thank sin. Sin corrupts creation. Verse 18, thorns also and the thistles that shall bring forth unto thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Roses didn't have thorns before the fall. Poison ivy didn't put oils on you that would cause a rash. And the list goes on and on. Snakes weren't poisonous. Lions didn't feed on other animals. It's impossible for us to understand the degree that creation, perfect creation, was corrupted by this simple act. We ought to hate sin. You get stung by a bee, you ought to say, man, I hate sin. You get a thorn in you, man, I hate sin. You find a tick on you, get Lyme disease, man, I hate sin. We have countless reasons every day to be reminded of how terrible sin is. And yet, as we talked about this morning, we're so forgetful. We remember sometimes the pleasures of sin. That made me feel good. That was fun. But you don't remember the bad parts. You remember sitting at the bar with your buddies, but you don't remember being on a urine-soaked floor on your knees with your head in a dirty toilet. We've got to be brutally honest with ourselves about sin and stop letting the devil just put the good thoughts in our head and look at sin and say, no, I hate you. I want you out of my life. Sin corrupted creation. Let me say number four, why should we hate sin? A sin springs from our enemy. Look at John 8, 44. <clears throat> John chapter 8. The devil was actually the first one to sin. That old archangel called Lucifer one day looked around and said, I want to be God. And in his pride and self-will, he tried to overthrow God, deceived even a third of the angels to go against Almighty God himself. God cast him out of heaven. Satan brought sin to the world. Adam and Eve bought into that sin indulged in it, corrupted themselves, condemned their souls to hell, corrupted creation. But one thing you'll learn about sin is it's contagious. You let, you let sin get in your life, and it's going to get in the lives of the people around you. We see sin springs from our enemy, John eight forty four. Jesus said, You're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him, and when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He's the father of lies. He's the father of pride. He's the father of sin. 
And the more you get indulged in sin, the more you become like the devil, the closer you get to him. The more you follow after righteousness, the closer you get to Christ. They're two opposite ends. They couldn't be any more far apart. Second Corinthians chapter 6 asks, Do Christ and Belial have anything in common? And the answer is no. Amen. We ought to hate sin because it springs from our enemy. Then number five, we ought to hate sin because sin enslaves humanity. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Now the old English word there, committeth, means practices. Boy, you, you get involved in sin, you become the servant of sin. You might think that you're enjoying it, and what you'll find is it's enjoying you. You're not using it, it's using you. It's sucking the life out of you. Stealing your future, your potential, your blessings, your joy. And when we commit sin, when we practice sin, we are the servants of sin. Thanks be to God, as we read in Romans chapter 6, as God's children, as born again, as saved, we have the choice to say no. We can choose righteousness. Amen? Why should we hate sin? We're moving fast tonight, I know. But I just want to give you the, the whole wheelbarrow tonight. Let's soak in it. Let's learn to hate sin. Let's look at our lives and say, I want that out for the glory of God. Why should we hate sin? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We should hate sin because sin blinds people from the truth. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 and 5 say, In whom the God, little g, of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. See, it's, it's the sin and the, the father of sin that blinds our eyes. We get so caught up in sin, we fall in love with it. We follow it. We grasp it. Blinds us from the truth. Keeps us from knowing the truth of God and even understanding the gospel. Why should we hate sin? Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Why should we hate sin? Because sin deceitfully entices. Oh, sin's deceptive. Sin doesn't come to you and say, hey, I'm a sin, I'll drag your soul to hell. It doesn't come to you and say, hey, I'm a sin, I'm going to ruin your future, steal all the blessings God has planned for you. Oh, it's deceitful. It comes to you like a friend. It comes to you like a help. People say, well, a glass of wine at night helps me calm down after a busy day. Well, Proverbs tells you not even to look at it. At fermented wine, when it's red, when it moveth itself aright in the cup. Why? It's like a viper. It will get you. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. It will get you. It'll deceive you. It'll lull you to sleep. All those shows don't bother you until you watch enough of them. They affect your mind. Those words you listen to, all those curse words don't bother you until one day a curse word comes out of your mouth and you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? Well, you've been putting it in there for a long time. just finally came out. And we have to look at sin. That's why we have to be brutally honest with ourselves and say, I don't care how that makes me feel. God says it's a sin. I don't care that I think it's okay. God says it's a sin. And I have to believe God because I understand sin is deceitful. 
God tells the truth. Why should we hate sin? Number eight, because sin destroys lives. Think about that. Sin destroys lives. Luke twenty two thirty one, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Satan's desired to have you, to sift you. The process of sifting is separating the chaff from the usable, edible portion. And what Satan does is he loves to take lives and rip them apart, and he'll leave you a shell of what you could have been and what you ought to be and steal all the good out of you. Our community tonight is filled with shells of people. They've lost hope. They've lost their money. They've lost time. They've lost their families. They've lost their jobs. Maybe all of those. Maybe a few of those. But wrecked lives. How many people have been hurt by alcohol? How many families destroyed? How much have drugs infested even middle class and upper middle class communities. They say that because of this lockdown and people not working, that alcoholism, they call it, the Bible calls it drunkenness, and drug abuse is on the rise. I was down at the Four Corners and I was parked in the parking lot and I sat there for about 10 minutes one day just watching people go in and out of the liquor store. And I prayed for them and I prayed for God to shut the place down. That place was busy. Go to Dunkin' Donuts over on Tower Hill. You better watch the people going to the liquor store there as you're trying to get a coffee. Zipping in and out of there so they can get their fix. Destroys people. Destroys lives. The list of sins could go on and on. People say, well, pornography is not bad. No, it destroys people destroys lives, ruins your heart, kills your relationships, changes your thinking. It's wicked. We have to recognize it. All right, why should we hate sin? Number nine, look at Matthew chapter 24. For some of these, I've got more than, than one verse, but I'm just giving you the ones the Lord's laid on my heart to give to you right now. Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So why should we hate sin? Number nine, sin deadens our love for God. Sin destroys your love for God. If you get involved in sin, your love for God goes down. It can't be anything different. As we talked about, if you look at a spectrum of the devil on one side and Christ on the other, the closer you get to sin, you get closer to the devil, you get further away from Christ. And the closer you get to Christ and and you involve yourself in righteousness, the further you get away from sin. You can't love God and love sin. It's one or the other. You can't love sin and love God. It's a choice. Isn't that what Luke chapter 16 told us? No servant can serve two masters. Free though he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Sin deadens our love for God. Listen, if you're involved in sin tonight, you don't feel very close to God. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray. You don't want to be in church. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, these verses put in contrast the will of God and the love of the world. You can't love the world and fulfill the will of God. You can't do both. 
We're talking tonight about why we should hate sin. 20 reasons to hate sin. Number nine is we should hate sin because sin deadens our love for God. The only way that you can get your love back and you can have your heart fire rekindled back for God is through repentance. Psalm 51 details that out. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. And then he begins to talk about restore the joy of the Lord. You have to deal with sin or sin will steal your love for God. Why should we hate sin? This is perhaps one of the most powerful. We should hate sin because Jesus Christ died to pay for our sin. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. This is the most clear presentation of the gospel in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53 details the sacrificial death of the Messiah. We know this was Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 53 And look at verse 3, and as I read this, I want you to realize that this is the King of glory. This is the Son of God who left the glories of heaven. This is how He humbled Himself in the ultimate humiliation to come down and live among His creation, and then as life humbled itself and died for the sins of mankind. It ought to make you mad at sin when you read this. Yes, we see the love for Christ. Yes, we're moved by His sacrifice. But we ought to be angry that it's my sin that did this to Jesus. It's my sin that put the stripes on His back. It's my sin that ripped the hair of His beard. It's my sin that put the crown of thorns. It's my sin that put the nails in His hands and feet. It's my sin, and I hate it. Isaiah 53, verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men. Why? Because of my sin. A man of sorrows and acquainted with, acquainted with grief. Why? Because of my sin. And we hid as it were our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Because of our sin. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Why? Because of our sin. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Do you see it? Do you see what our sin did to the precious Lord Jesus Christ? And how can you and I look at sin in our lives today, knowing about what it did to us, knowing what it does to others, knowing what it did to the precious King of glory, and we look at it and say, no, that's okay. We make excuses for it, and we indulge in it. No, sir. No, ma'am. We ought to look at sin in our lives and say, I don't want you in my life. I hate what you did to my Savior. We cultivate a holy hatred for sin. As we talked about, God hates sin. Jesus Christ hates sin. We should hate sin. Look at Jeremiah chapter 5. Why should we hate sin? Because sin withholds blessings. Jeremiah chapter 5 Look at verse 25. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. Boy, we ought to let that sink in. When we choose to sin, we're choosing to leave behind blessings that God had planned for us. I wonder what blessings I've missed out on in my life. It's staggering to think about. It's sobering. What did God have planned for me that I missed? 
thankfully in the generosity of God, He's the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance. And God will keep taking us back. As many times as we come back to Him and ask for forgiveness, He'll keep forgiving. Amen. But there is a price to sin. And just because you and I won't go to hell doesn't mean we won't suffer in this life because of our sin. We ought to hate sin. When temptation comes, we ought to look at that and say, I'm going to reject you because I don't know what God has planned for me over here. Look at Psalm 51. Is this helping you tonight? Psalm 51, why should we hate sin? Number 12, sin steals joy. Psalm 51, 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. It's God's intention that we have joy. Jesus said, my joy I leave with you. God wants us to have joy. And many Christians and folks, I've been there myself at times in my life, there's a lot of joyless Christians out there. I mean, just a lot of Christians with no joy. You're saved and grouchy about it. You know you're going to heaven, but it doesn't seem to help you now. Some people need to remind their face that they're saved. Why is it that we can have so many people who've been delivered from such a desperate situation, pulled out of that miry clay and our feet set upon a rock and a new song in our heart, we have heaven to look forward to. God's our Father. Jesus is our Savior. The Holy Spirit's our Comforter. The Bible's our book. We've got so many blessings, and we're grumpy, and we complain, and we have no joy. A big reason is because of the little sins. The little sins. I'm not saying you're out and you're a secret serial killer. We've only had a few of those go here throughout the years. No, we've never had a serial killer come that I know of. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. And it's the, I fear that it's the little sins in our lives that we excuse and we say, well, I don't want to do the big sins, but I'm going to allow these little ones in. And they steal our joy. That's why whenever we submit to God, I mean, after perhaps we've been fighting God about something or we have been involved in sin or maybe God's dealing with us about something, when we finally surrender, I mean, when we just lay it all on the line, when we just surrender to God, there is a rush of joy and peace that floods our soul. And I fear that that's what is available to us all the time. But we live with such a stiff neck and we're stubborn with God and we excuse little sins. And we live a joyless life. So anytime we start to lose our joy, and I'm telling you, I've been there. Life gets heavy. There's a lot of burdens. But any time my joy is gone, one of the first things we have to look at is, God, is there any sin in my life? Search me. And often what you'll find is, yeah, there's something there that you just haven't wanted to deal with. We should hate sin because sin steals our joy. Look at Psalm 53. Why should we hate sin? Because sin makes you stupid. Sin makes people stupid. I mean, it doesn't matter how many degrees they have. It doesn't matter how much schooling they've had. It doesn't matter what things they've done in the past. Look at Psalm 53 and verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, sin. And have done abominable iniquity, sin. There is none that doeth good, sin. 
And what you'll find is often that atheists love their sin. And they know that if there is a God, every once in a while you'll have an an atheist have an honest ethical discussion. And it's always so illuminating. And they'll say things like this. If there is a God, that means I'm going to hell. Yeah. If there is a God, that means my lifestyle is sinful. Yes. If there is a God, then that means one day I'll have to give an account to him. Absolutely. Then there's no God. How convenient. Why do people hate something that doesn't exist? Why do people spend so much time and effort? Why do they write books? Why do they wax long in lectures? Why are there entire courses about something that doesn't exist? That's just stupid. And when people get involved in sin, they lose their wisdom. And then they lose their common sense. And then they lose their grip on reality. And you've seen this process played out in the lives of people you've known that have gotten deeper and deeper in sin. And it's like, it's like they're living in a fairy tale. It's like they can't even discuss things in reality because sin makes you stupid. It's a terrible process to watch. And I don't want that to happen to us. But it has, has it not? Have we ever been deceived by sin and then got involved in stupidity? And then had to confess it and forsake it and get it right? Sure. These are reasons we should hate sin. Look at Psalm 49. Why should we hate sin? Because sin destroys the body. Psalm 49, verse 14. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. And the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. Sin destroys the body. The process of aging is just the visible representation of the corruption within us. If you were perfect, you would live forever. Adam and Eve were made to live forever, and then sin corrupted them, but they still lived for 900 years. And through the course of thousands of years, we've seen the lifespan go from eternity to the longest man who ever lived, Methuselah, 969 years, to nowadays the life expectancy, even with all of our technology, is 70 years. Sin destroys the body. We've seen this with people who get involved in sin. Booze and alcohol and liquor destroy the liver. Cigarettes destroy the lungs. Drugs destroy the mind. I was watching a show one time, and it was one of those shows that it's almost like a documentary where a family had been split up when the kids were young, and they didn't even know they had a sibling until later in life. They found out they had a sibling. Somebody comes in their life and says, we're going to go find your, your sister. And so here's this sister, and she had lived a, pretty normal life she looked a certain age well they found her twin sister born the same day but had been put in a different family had lived a life of addiction terrible life rough life and i'll never forget in the reunion moment when that big moment when the two sisters came back together one of the sisters looked like the other one's mom the one that had lived a hard life. You see, sin corrupts the body. It destroys the body. 
The Bible uses the term, it makes the beauty to consume away. And that's not just in the grave. That's here in life. You ever notice the Hollywood people, they're always Botoxing this and stretching that and tucking that. And I saw somebody recently, some, some show passed by, and I was like, who is that? And it's somebody that I, was on TV years ago. And, I mean, this poor dear lady, her face was just like, oh, stretched out. And it was like, you, t- you talk about a bad, bad job. I mean, a bad plastic surgery job. And then she went to smile, and like half her face didn't move because of all the Botox and stuff. And it's like this poor thing. But they live in a culture, in that, that microculture there in, in Hollywood, where they worship beauty, but their lifestyles steals their beauty. And they go to any lengths to try to keep it. But sin destroys the body and ultimately destroys it in the grave. Look at Psalms uh, 31. Psalm 31. In verse 10, For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity. My bones are consumed. Here, of course, we could pull out the physical aspects here, but I want to pull out something deeper, and that is the fact that sin erodes potential. Here is a life spent with grief. A life characterized by grief. Years filled with with sighing. That's not God's plan for you. The Bible says the way of transgressors is hard. And sin steals your potential. There's a lot we could say about that. But we hasten. Look at Romans 16. talking about why we hate sin, why we should hate sin, and how to cultivate a holy hatred for sin in a culture that idolizes and worships and promotes sin. Romans chapter 16, And look at verse 19, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you to be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So God says, I don't want you to know all about the bad things. You don't have to know what a cigarette tastes like. You don't have to know what a drug feels like. You don't have to know what immorality does. You don't have to know. God says, I want you wise concerning the good and simple concerning evil. You don't have to know what it's like to hurt people. And the point here is that sin corrupts innocence. Why would God say, I, I, don't, I want you to be wise concerning good and simple concerning evil? Because sin corrupts your innocence. There are lines that once you step over, you can't have your innocence back. That's why God's plan is for young people to stay pure until they get to the altar, the, the wedding altar. But we live in a world that's like, hey, live it up. But, but young people mentally, emotionally, aren't made yet, they're not strong enough yet to carry the burdens of a sexual relationship. They're just not made for that yet. Their innocence is gone. We find people, these poor, dear heroin addicts, and thank God I've I've known many people who God has delivered from terrible heroin addictions, but this is just such a terrible one to give up. And they say that the first high You spend the rest of your life chasing that first high. It's never that good again. And they'll destroy their lives chasing that and using more and more until their body is melting away and their life is ruined. And the only thing that matters is the bag and the spoon and the needle. That's all they care about. But in a moment, the innocence is gone. God can deliver you from that mess. But there's some things in life that once you sin, once you turn that on, you can't turn it off. You get into that pornography mess, 
You start undressing everybody with your eyes. Your innocence is gone. And you got to ask God for help and righteousness to get that right. I mean, we could just start naming every sin. And there's an innocence that's taken away, stripped away. We ought to hate sin because of it. One man said that sin is like a car that gets in an accident. You can go to the body shop, but the door might never shut the same. It's just things are a little out of kilter. And thank God for the grace of God that can deliver us from all that. But we ought to hate sin. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll just give you these last few quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Why? Which war against the soul. Why should we hate sin? Because sin wars against the soul. You'll have a conflict in your heart and mind. There is a part of you that wants to do right. I mean, if you're truly saved, I mean, if you're lost, you couldn't care less. Sin, sin won't bother you if you're lost. I mean, if you're truly saved... There is a part of you that wants so desperately to do right, that wants so desperately to please the Lord. And when we get involved in sin, it wars against our soul. And there's no pill, there's no drug, there's no psychologist or psychiatrist that can bring peace back to your soul when sin is warring against it. Why should we hate sin? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10, we should hate sin because sin perverts the mind. Second Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, this is a little bit different than sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you stupid is just a general thing. I mean, you lose common sense, you lose wisdom, you're just not thinking straight. But this is a little bit more devious and technical. Sin rewrites your thinking. The Bible says casting down imaginations, those, those images, those images, the mind thinks in pictures and casting down those images and every high thing, the thoughts and philosophies that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. We know God says this, but I think this. We know God says this, but here's what I want. And those sinful thoughts, if you don't get rid of them, if you don't cast them down in the name of Christ, they become little strongholds in your mind. They're like little forts where the devil wages war. And if you don't deal with them, it's almost like a computer virus that just runs through and begins taking over the operating system. This is how we can have people who were once faithful Christians, and tonight they're not in church at all. We can have people that once lived one way, and today they live a totally different way. Their mind has been changed It's been perverted, twisted, corrupted. They think differently. And that's what happens. The fiery darts of the devil. We allow them to take root. My preacher used to say, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. And Satan will shoot thoughts through your mind, but it's up to you whether you latch on to him or not. We need to bring every thought into the captivity of Christ, comparing every thought with Scripture. Let me say lastly, well, next to last. Number 19, sin leads to more sin. Don't turn to it. Luke chapter 11, verse 26, we have the parable of a man goes and he wants to clean himself up and a devil leaves him. But then the Bible says, Then he goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of man is worse than the first. This is the problem with self-reformation. This is someone who did get victory for a while in their own strength. But eventually, sin leads to more sin. 
And whenever we let one sin in our lives, others come in. Sin travels in packs. When you study the Bible, you'll see certain sins mentioned together because they come together. And sin leads to more sin. That's why we ought to hate it. That's why we need to deal with the little sins in our lives. And then lastly, sin, number 20, why should we hate sin? Sin destroys everything it touches. Sin is like a virus that contaminates, corrupts, becomes contagious. We've already learned that sin condemns the soul. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. Sin causes our bodies to get old and die. This is the first death. But then the Bible says there's a second death, and that's the death of the soul. Sin causes the souls of those who reject Christ as their Savior to experience the second death in the tormenting flames of eternal hellfire. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. See, sin destroys everything it touches. Destroys your body, first death. Destroys your soul, second death. Destroyed Adam and Eve, Destroyed their family. One of the brothers killed another. Destroyed creation. Still today, these thousands of years later, we feel the effects of that one sin of taking a bite of a crazy piece of fruit. Let's stop arguing about how bad your sin is compared to somebody else's. Let's stop being hard on others and giving ourselves a pass. Let's be honest with ourselves and look at our lives and say, okay, we learned what sin is last week. How do we define it? How do we identify it? And then we got to do something with that. The, the purpose of that knowledge is to deal with sin, confess it, forsake it, and seek after righteousness. And then tonight we're reminding ourselves to cultivate a holy hatred for sin. Sin destroys trust, relationships, fellowship, potential, churches, nations. The list goes on and on. No one gets away with sin. I want you to remember this final thought. You say, well, I know somebody who's getting away with sin. It might look like they're getting away with sin at this moment, but nobody gets away with sin. It always catches up with them. And the only way we can escape the deadly touch of sin is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. He was buried and rose again. And he offered that anybody who puts their faith in him can be saved. Well, I encourage you tonight, if you're not saved, come to Christ. Trust Jesus as your Savior. What madness, what foolishness would cost someone to reject the free offer of God for salvation and eternity in heaven? But multitudes do. If you're here tonight and you say, well, preacher, I am saved. But I've got sin in my life. The way to get sin out of your life is the same way that you got saved. And that's through Jesus Christ. We confess our sinful condition. We believe God's word. And we ask God for deliverance. Amen. Let's hate sin. Father, help us to hate sin. Help us, Lord, to be courageous enough to deal with sin in our own lives. Not to protect it excuse it, but to confess it and forsake it. Help us to keep short accounts with you. You told us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness in 1 John 1, 9. And, O oh God, clean us, cleanse us, forgive us. Forgive us of our self-will, our stubbornness. 
being deceived and deceiving ourselves. Help us to hate sin like you hate it so that we can seek after righteousness. You told us to be holy because you're holy, Lord. Help us to do so by thy grace and mercy. We pray you bless all the church people, our members, the folks who are watching online, our community. Lord, help us to be a bright and shining light in our community, giving them a message that sometimes they don't want to hear, but yet one they so desperately need to so that they can see their need of you. And so please give us wisdom as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.